Turn to your neighbor and say, I hate when he makes us do this. That's a joke. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. As you're turning to 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to move this because it's distracting me. 1 John chapter 4. Have you ever had, we'll call it a biblical discussion. We won't call it an argument, but really that's what it is. A biblical discussion and at some point, you're just going back and forth and back and forth. And this could be with a fellow Christian. This could be with uh, someone who doesn't believe or who's on the cusp or somebody you've been ministering to for a while. Or, or maybe it's you. Maybe you're in this position. You get to a point and you throw up your arms, you tap out and say, well, that's your interpretation. Anybody ever heard that or said that? You ever, and sometimes it's not even a biblical um, a biblical narrative you're talking about. You could be talking about Star Wars. You know, you could, you could tell somebody, you know, I think that Jar Jar Binks is an underrated character in the Star Wars uh, canon. And somebody's gonna throw up their arms and go, that's just your interpretation of that movie or that character. Nobody would agree with you. And everybody would laugh at you because Jar Jar Binks is horrible. But you still have that sort of, that's your interpretation. And when it comes to the Bible, I cringe when I hear that because it's often misperceived. If I'm even, I think I just made that word up. I'm not even sure if it's real. But we think that as Christians, we must interpret the Bible. That, that like it's a foreign language and we've got to interpret it into our language. Meaning it's got a way about it, but we've got to make it more palatable or suitable to our way of life because we're so modern and our culture is so advanced and evolved and this is so primitive. It's a good start, don't get me wrong, but, but we're gonna stand on top of this and build upon it. And so really what's most important is, is what we put on top of it, not the foundation below. Um, as Christians, we're not called to be interpreters. We're not meant to interpret the Bible. Oh, the Bible says this, but here's what that really means. Now, that can be confusing sometimes when I start, you know, guys like me and Mike and Ben throw out things like, well, here's the original Greek and blah, blah, blah. That is interpretation of languages. That is something indeed that we do. But we're talking about God said this, but it doesn't line up with what our culture says. So let's change what God meant so that it fits into our everyday life. That is not the job of a Christian. And many, a good Christian have gone awry, they have shipwrecked their faith because instead of struggling and wrestling with the scriptures, they have instead said, you know what, I'll just change a few things and make it more about me and less about Jesus. Now, our verse today is in chapter four, verse seven. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And I'm emphasizing that word for a reason. Give me a second. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love that, uh, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Jesus, 
Uh, again, your word is not here to be interpreted. We're not your PR people. We're not here to clean you up or to make you, you know, more suitable and, and more appropriate for this day, Lord. We want you raw. We want you with all the things that we struggle with. We want to wrestle with your word today, Lord. Like Jacob in the morning wrestling with you, Lord, we want to wrestle with you. And if we walk away with a limp afterwards, Lord, so be it. As long as we are closer to you and know what your word says. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. May Jesus be glorified. Amen. How many people picked up a word in there, not just because I was emphasizing it. You, you read that and you heard a word repeated time and time again. It was the word love. John says the word love 13 times, not including the two times he calls us beloved, but uses the word love 13 times in six verses. Let's put on our thinking caps. What do we think John is getting at in these particular verses? Say it out loud with me. Love. Love. See, what we're going to talk about today is not so much the love of God, because we actually spent a whole sermon on that a few weeks ago. And if you go online, you can listen to it. And rather than beat a dead horse, what we're going to do instead is I'm going to explain to you the difference between two very important words in the Greek language that don't appear in the Bible. They're, they're extra biblical words, but they pertain to how we understand the word of God. Now, these two words sound more complicated than they are. I will do my best to, uh, you know, make them easier to understand. I know for me, big words, really fast, not always going to catch everything. This is why we bring our notebooks to church. If you have your notebook, write some stuff down. This first word, is going to be eisegesis. Everybody say eisegesis. Not Jesus, eisegesis. Eisegesis. The second word is exegesis. Everybody say exegesis. Eisegesis and exegesis. They are the Conor McGregor and Floyd Merriweather, Mayweather, sorry, Mayweather of uh, biblical interpretation or biblical translation, I should say, understanding, study of the word. Well, what do they mean? Um, in the Greek, they mean something fancy. Here's what they basically mean. Eisegesis means I bring the meaning to the word. Exegesis says I draw out the meaning from the word. Now you might be saying, I don't, I'm not familiar with these terms. No, you do this all the time. When you watch a show on Netflix and you're trying to anticipate what's going to happen in the next show, you start to draw out evidence from that particular episode to anticipate what the next episode might bring. You don't bring your own experience and say the show is going to be contained or changed by what I experience and feel. You go, oh no, this happened and this character was introduced. Oh, I see where they're going with this. Or, or maybe just, I don't know where they're going with this. Oh, it's a cliffhanger. See, we do this all of the time. But unfortunately, when it comes to Bible study or Bible reading, this all flies out the window. And most often, one of the most common mistakes the church makes is eisegesis, bringing their experience into the word of God to change the word of God. So uh, a couple of examples, or, or the reason why we're bringing this up is because this scripture, God is love, three words in the English language, is one of the most misused scriptures. It's one of the most well-known. It is one of the most loved but what you find is somebody brings this verse when they want to argue what they say is correct, 
Well, God is love, so he must approve of what I do. Because after all, God is love, and he loves everything. Now, God is love. Jesus loves everybody. It's kind of his thing. Have you noticed that? Dying for the sins of the world, dying a sinner's death when he knew no sin. When we were still sinners, he died for us. I mean, Jesus loves everybody. We're not arguing that God is not love. But what we are arguing is that when you take these three words and you rip them from the context within 1 John, you lose what the writer, what God himself is saying to us. And so today, what we need to do is we need to become students of the word. Now, many of us, we haven't been in school for years, maybe even decades, but we've continued to learn, haven't we? We've learned new things. We've learned how to cook. We've learned how to build stuff. We've learned how to do this. We've traveled. I mean, we haven't stopped learning. We've just stopped learning formally. Many of us give our life to Jesus, and then we get a Bible, and we just kind of carry it around. We don't really do much about it. And if we read it, we walk around going, I don't get any of this. What is he saying? Okay, God is love, but now the pastor's telling me I got that wrong. Like, what's the deal? It's because we do not become students of the word. And often what we do is we take a scripture like today, God is love. And if we want to justify romantic love, well, then we use this verse to justify that, eisegesis. If we, wanna, if we want to uh, exalt parental love and we want to emphasize the importance of parenting and love between a child and a parent or vice versa, and we want to write a blog and we want it to be successful, well, then we throw this scripture on there so that, you know, we get the Christian approval and, and everybody's kind of on board with it. And if we want to talk about brotherly love or we want to talk about uh, the love of taking care of the less fortunate or, or something like that, well, then we grab this verse and like a Swiss Army knife, we just kind of fold it out to the, to the experience we want it to fit in and we make it work. But that's dangerous because we've changed the original intent of what was being said to us. Imagine, imagine if you will, you're a husband and you say to your wife, and I said this a few weeks ago and I, and I don't, you know, I'm just gonna use it again because it's so appropriate. You say, you know what, honey? I'm gonna go out this weekend with my friends and we're gonna paintball. We're gonna do paintball. But your wife had plans already. Like, we're going to go to the mall, and I got to go do this, and I got to go do that. And she says that to you, but you're like, I, I still, I still want to go paintball. Um, which I've never paintballed, so this is not about me. I'm making this up out of thin air. So then the wife says, you go ahead and do what you want. If you hear that, you run as fast as you can to the car, and you do what she says immediately because that is a trap. Now, none of the husbands here have ever been in this situation. I understand it's going to be hard to kind of grasp that scenario, but use your imaginations and let the scene unfold in your mind. You know, and I know in that moment, what's being said is not really what's being meant, right? What's being said is, I want for you to desire what I want. I want for you to do what I want to do. Not, not in a selfish manner, but these things are actually more beneficial for our family. You know, we've got to, you know, go pay bills. We've got to go run errands and these things have to be done. And they're a little more important than paintball. Paintball's fun, I'm assuming, because I've never done it. But, but right now, one takes precedent over the other. And I want you to kind of see that. See, Isagesis says, well, she said that this, and I bring in my own experience and... Well, I think it means all of these things based on what I've gone through, so I'll do whatever I want. Exegesis says, no, no, no. 
what's being said within the context of this conversation? What has been said in previous conversations? What is the nature of this person? My wife, my, my husband, when they're saying this, what are, they, what are they usually communicating to me in that? How do I draw, not from myself, but from them what's being said? See, we often take the word and we say, well, you know what? I had a really bad parental figure, so God being a father is not really cool with me. I don't really like that because to me, fathers are mean and they make you do stuff you don't like and they beat you and they exploit you and they, you know, they are angry with you all the time. And, and so if God's a father, well, see, now you've taken your experience, you've taken yourself and you've changed the word and what's being said. But as students of the word, we apply exegesis. Now, exegesis is actually quite simple. It's like letting the word of God breathe for itself, letting it speak for itself. What does the word of God say? And so the reason why we read such a long chunk of scripture is because you find over and over again, John is talking about love. He's talking about God is love and there's a specific love that God is. It encompasses romantic, parental, brotherly uh any kind of love that goes underneath that, biblical love, but this love that John is talking about is consistently the same. Every time John used that word in the Greek, it was the same word. It was the word agape, or a variation of that, agapateo, or agapeo, basically meaning its root word coming from agape. And like I said, we talked about that a few weeks ago, and we'll talk about it again in just a minute. What do we do as biblical students? How do we accomplish that? Well, I'm going to give you a a sort of a a breakdown of how we can do this in a way where instead of you putting meaning into the word, you draw the meaning out of the word, okay? Number one is what's being said. Like just what's being said in a particular scripture. Let's start there. This past week we were studying uh, the last few verses of James and James kept saying prayer, 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 prayer. And so we surmised that through the frequency of the use of the word prayer that James was talking about prayer. It's not rocket science. It's just what's being said. Okay, this seems to be the emphasis. Let's at least start there. Now we could be wrong, but I think it's a pretty solid place to start. What is being said in a particular verse? After you get that scripture, that verse, you know, what's, what context are you finding it in? Is that consistent with the verses before and after it? For example, God is love. Well, was that the tag to the end of a sentence where John was talking about something completely different? No, we see that consistently in those six or seven verses. He's repeated love over and over again. So that must be what he's talking about. First John, now we, we have to understand this as well. First John is a letter. Is there a difference between a letter you receive from, let's say, a friend and National Grid? Is there a difference between a letter from, you know, your mom or your brother or your sister or something, or an email, because nobody sends mail anymore, and, you know, Spectrum slash Time Warner? I should get money for as many people as I'm mentioning. Yes, right? There's a marked difference between both those letters. One letter you're like, yay! And the other one like, ah, I just paid this last month. Good, not so good. I mean, I want internet and I want to be warm, but God, I just don't want to have to pay this. 
I'm going to go paintball. Letter probably has good stuff in it. This one, not so good. The epistles of the New Testament, are they like the national grid uh, letters? Or are they like letters from your mom or dad? They're like letters from your mom or dad. They're letters from a person to a church to encourage, rebuke, discipline, love, to show Jesus to them. The purpose of why they're being written is as important as what's being written there. It helps us to understand the first audience that, that read this letter. Think about this. 2,000 years ago, a guy named John sat down with pen and paper, papyrus or whatever, lambskin, whatever, wrote this stuff down and then sent it along to a church. And the pastor of that church got it. I was like, everybody gather around. We got a letter from John. Who's John? John was the beloved disciple, walked with Jesus. Oh, that John, because that's a very common name. Yeah, come on, let's read this. And they run, scroll it, and they start reading all this stuff. And then the Gnostics in the group start getting a little, you know, a little nervous because of what John's saying about them. See, we, we can't just read the Bible just like a novel or a book or a history lesson. We, we must understand the ins and outs of, of how it came together. You know, you got like, 40 some odd authors over like 2,000 years writing consistently this, about the same God over and over and over again. We start with what the scripture says. We, we look at it within context. We understand uh, the author. Who was it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? What was happening in that particular church? What do we know about that particular city or place? And that, that right there is kind of uh, for us almost exclusive to our generation and the few before it. That was something that, you know, you had, to be a, you had to be a dedicated theologian for most of your life to be able to find and attain that type of information. But today with the internet, boom, you could have it in a second. For John in particular, is what John's saying in that verse, is it consistent with the other letters that he wrote? He wrote two other letters. We're going to get to those in the next few weeks. Is it consistent with what he said there? He wrote the Gospel of John, the experience uh, uh, of walking with Jesus. Is it, con is it consistent there? Or, or is what, being what is being taught from this verse black and white compared to what's being said in the Gospel of John? Is it consistent with what he saw and experienced in the book of Revelation? The fun thing about having so many books of the Bible written by the same person, uh, like Paul, for example, is that you see the consistency. You might see Paul address different issues in different churches, but you see him addressing them the same way. You see him coming at them saying, here, you need Jesus. You, you need more of Jesus in your life. You need to get rid of all these false idols. You gotta stop sinning. You gotta stop doing this and you need to get back to Jesus. For John, you gotta get rid of these Gnostic teachings and the nonsense of Jesus being an apparition and not really being of the flesh. I walked with Jesus. I leaned against him at the last supper. Jesus was every bit man and every bit God and sufficient for the, the, the death, burial and resurrection that he did for, on our behalf and for us. So is what's being said in this passage, within this chunk of scripture, maybe even chapter, within this book, within this writer's uh, sort of uh, own little personal canon, is it consistent? Is it consistent with the rest of the New Testament? There are no rogue verses in the Bible. There's none that are just like, what? I mean, there might be, but simple study will eventually show you, oh, okay, I see, I see this happened here. You read the book of Revelation and you're like, what? Plagues of locusts and things falling from the sky and judgment. Oh my God. Oh, I go to the book of Exodus. Oh, God's done this before. It looks, 
remarkably similar to what he did before, he's going to do again. And so Revelation becomes a lot less scary. And, you know, even with Kirk Cameron in it, it just doesn't seem that scary anymore because you realize, oh, it's the consistent God of the scriptures. Nothing against Kirk Cameron. Everybody got real quiet, like, oh, Kirk Cameron, don't throw him under the bus. John's major themes in his books are, are, you know, the difference between light and darkness. That's why we title this The Darkness and the Light, that, that God is love. You know, when he writes in the gospel, he emphasizes Jesus' love. The logos, the, the word of God that Jesus is, you find that consistently throughout the writings of John. Does, the new, does what you're finding in the New Testament line up with the Old Testament? Some people discard the Old Testament. Like, oh, that's, that's junior high Jesus. We don't need him anymore. Like, he was working things out, but by the time he gets to the New Testament, then everything's okay. He's got it all figured out. No, no, no. The New Testament is the foundation for the, or excuse me, the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. And you find that when Hebrews 13 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's not just talking about in that moment or up until this moment, but in all the span of history, however long that is for God, he has been the same since his day one, whenever that is, and he will be for eternity. He will always be the same. You see him completing things. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the scriptures, not to abolish them. Not to say, we're not really doing that, but to say, no, no, I finished that. So you might be saying, why don't we sacrifice sheep on, on Sunday mornings or Saturday afternoons or whatever anymore? Because Jesus was the ultimate lamb. He was the one who came and he's the final sacrifice. He finished that. He is the proverbial diploma of the high school uh, life that we once had. You know, we, we still, our high school, maybe you're like me and you had a horrible high school experience. I, mine was so bad, I stopped after a year and a half. That's how bad school was. I, I was a dropout. I don't know if anybody knows that. I went back and finished. I always got to throw that in there. But I grew up in Southern California where gangs were a thing and it was very dangerous to go to school sometimes. That's a whole other story. Stop judging me for not finishing school. <laughs> There's some inner turmoil going on here. Um, <laughs> oh, <clears throat> I digress. But high school, none of us throws away high school, right? I mean, it's part of us now. It will always be there. Now, granted, we don't go there anymore. We're not obligated by the, the, the you know, get up at, you know, six o'clock, you're ready to be there by the 7.30 bell, and then the bell rings, you go to the next class. But none of us does that anymore, not in the high school sense. We, we completed that. It's part of our history. It's part of who, who we are. It explains who we are, but it's no longer what we do. The Old Testament, the, the ceremonial and governmental laws of the Old Testament, they ended with Jesus. That's why we don't, it, it's why I've had people come and want to like pray for me and put oil on my ear and my toe because it's an Old Testament thing, but actually they use blood. And I'm like, no, thanks. And like, no, no, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, you're not. <laughs> You're not going to put oil in my ear right now, buddy. Just, just don't tell. Okay, well, then they leave all in a huff. We don't do that anymore because those things have been fulfilled in Jesus. It's why we can eat pork now. All, everybody who loves bacon say amen because we can eat bacon. Is bacon good for you? Yes, bacon is good for you. Don't, Jeannie's shaking her head. It's, it's, she's the minority. Should you eat bacon all the time? Sure, bacon. Put bacon on your bacon. I'm tired of BLTs. I just want bees. With some cheese in there. Um, 
I digress. What remains from the Old Testament now is the moral law. Here's what I always ask. It's how I ask myself. When somebody asks me like, well, can we eat shrimp now? Was it law before the law? See, there was a moment where, where Moses went up on Mount Sinai and they came down with the, with the tablets and, and, and said, you know, this, the Lord has spoken or whatever, and he's got the Ten Commandments. And he said things like, thou shall not murder. Was murdering wrong before that moment? Yes! Murder didn't become bad on that day. Murder was bad from the beginning. This is why the book of Genesis, when it starts with the murder of Abel, it's not in a positive light. Because murder was wrong from day one. The moral law extends the age of the law, the, the ceremonial and, and, and governmental laws of Israel. So you and I, we're not, we're not controlled by ceremonial laws or gov- governmental laws, but we are controlled by moral law. Murder is murder. Adultery is adultery. These are the things that will always be wrong. We will never find a way to, fi- to, to get around that. Well, I kind of had to. Oh, well, then go ahead. That's your own, you know, that's what, what, how you identify. You identify as a murderer, so it's okay. No, murder is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Lying is wrong. And we, we, we had somebody recently come and tell me, nobody ever sent, God would never send anybody to hell. Are you sure? Because I read the Bible and Jesus says it's a pretty bad place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, weeping I understand. But gnashing of teeth? Have you, have you ever, ever heard a phrase that's more brutal? Can you just imagine teeth growing to your brother and like enamel and chips just flying out of your mouth because you're growing your teeth in agony? And Jesus is like, yep, that's what hell's like. He's like, I can't even really tell you what hell really is. I can just give you a picture or a glimpse of this place called the Valley of Gehenna where, you know, they burn all the refuse and it's always, it's always burning and there's dogs there chewing on the bones that haven't burned yet. And we throw unclean people in there, uh, the, the sinners that have died. We throw them in there because they're ceremonially unclean and we burn their bodies in that big valley. And it's this big place that's just been defiled. Hell is like that. That's not hell. Hell's like that. And people who reject Jesus and the grace that he offers end up in that place. Now, nobody, nobody in this church, leadership-wise, is afraid to say that you could go to hell one day. We just never say it with a smile on our face. We say it with, with, a, with a sting in our heart. Oh, God, the last thing we want is for anybody to live a separated life from Jesus Not just for eternity, but starting now. There is a life available to you today that Jesus has purchased to give you. It's a life that, honestly, it won't be easier in one sense. As a matter of fact, I think life gets harder when you choose Jesus. All your false functional saviors are identified as that. The bottle and the pills and the sex and the relationships and the the, Netflix and this and that and the video games, they, they all start to say, they don't have the flavor they once did. I mean, they, they used to be the thing I ran to and now I run to them and I feel even more empty because now you're being taught and you are learning to run to Jesus. Lord, I need you. Lord, I can't do this. Lord, where are you? He's right here with us today.
And so, does, it, does the New Testament line up with the Old Testament? And is God consistent throughout the whole thing? Is, is, is God one way over here? Now, I always look at God like a diamond, like not because precious jewel, because it's really just a rock. But what I mean is it has multifacets, you know, all kinds of different cuts and stuff. And you see something from one angle, like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I think God's too much for our brain. I, I mean, there are things on this earthly plane that are too much for our brain. Like string theory. Have you ever delved into string theory? Like, I delve into string cheese theory. The, it's not even my joke. I gotta give royalties to Brian Regan now. But you start talking about wormholes and, you know, this, and it's like, oh my gosh, my head's gonna explode. Sometimes kids ask you things like, what does salt taste like? Salty. Like, I can't explain it. You put it in your tongue, ah, my brain's gonna explode. You know, how do cameras work? How does Netflix work? How does this work? How do video games work? How, you know, what is alcohol? Well, alcohol's this stuff, and it, oh, ask your mother. Like, that's, Sometimes there's things on this earth that are just too much for, and then we go to God and God's this omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing being. And we think, oh, I can fit him in my little head. No, no, no. We, at best, we see him at glimpse, but that doesn't mean that he's black and white, meaning he's one way here and one way there. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change things up today. No, he's consistent throughout this is why when we read the Old Testament and we see him, you know, telling the Israelites, go into that nation and, and annihilate that people. Oh, well, I don't think that's right. Well, I'm not God. And I don't know those people. And I'm not going to be on the business end of God being mad at me. And God, throughout scriptures, gives people chances and chances and chances. And God's chosen people, the Israelites, what happens to them? They go through the same thing. Well, God would certainly not do that to anybody. I read the Bible and I come away with a much different story because I let the Bible tell me. Now, do I struggle with it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, God destroyed whole nations. And I'm like, oh, that's a hard, how am I going to teach that one? Like, not only uh, hearing it and understanding it, but now I got I to gotta teach this somehow? Oh, my gosh. One of the biggest issues of our day and age is homosexuality. And every day it gets more and more convoluted. And every day, rather than just saying, this is what we want to do and this is what we seem is right, no, no, we must force the word of God to say that it's okay. But if we let the scriptures speak for themselves, we never come away with that understanding. I'm not talking about this guy's commentary or this guy's blog or this person's, uh, you know, series or whatever, what this church says or what these people affirm. What does the word of God say? Now, are you struggling with that? That's okay. Struggle with it. Wrestle with God. Go back to the scriptures. Who is the God of the scriptures? What is he saying? And if this is what and who he is, then Lord, help me to change. If you're praying that God would change today, good luck. Because we have scripture saying he'll never change. This is who he is. And he doesn't change the book of Malachi says, for our benefit. It's for our good that he does not change. We're fickle, aren't we? I mean, how many of your kids right now have a fidget spinner like under the sofa somewhere? 
like three weeks ago, they had to have a fidget spinner and they were everywhere and you couldn't find them and then everybody had one and like, wow. And look at this, it's spinning on my finger and putting it on my nose. Oh, and I chipped the enamel on my teeth and oh, the ball bearings, you're choking on them. And then where are they now? They're nowhere. And adults are like, that's so stupid. But you've got boats in the yard you haven't used in three summers. That's just your fidget spinner. You've got this and you've got this toy and it's just sitting there collecting dust and you're like, fidget spinners are dumb. Let me go over to my $15,000 fidget spinner and look at it again and then walk away. We're, we're fickle. What we need now, we need it now. And then some time passes by like, eh, that's such a burden. Oh, where am I going to put that now? Oh, what am I going to do with that thing? But at one point you're like, oh, I need it so bad, Lord. Oh, God. And then you get it and you're like, eh. I sell it on eBay for a dollar. That's just who we are. For our benefit, the word says, God does not change. The same things we're struggling with is the same thing our forefathers struggled with and the people before them and the people before that. And what we're doing is we're not here to change what the word of God says. We are here to wrestle with it. And spoiler, we're gonna lose. God is gonna come out on top and we're gonna be pinned down and we're gonna say, Bah, uncle. Okay. But I need you, Lord, to change me. I think that that prayer is one of the prayers that God answers the easiest and the quickest. Lord, change me. I think he waits for us to say that. I think he's like eager, and, I, and I'm speculating, so don't take this as like word of God type stuff. This, I just, I can only imagine based on scripture and what he's trying to do with us, he must love it when we say, Lord, change me from the man I was to the man you want me to be. Take all of my preconceived notions about you, obliterate them, put them back together according to your word. And I have to believe that when we study his word, when the, when the Bible says that Jesus is the word, this and Jesus, not the paper, not the ink, not the fake leather on the outside, but the word of God, what God has said, the word that he has spoken is Jesus and Jesus is that word. You cannot change the word because Jesus is unchangeable. So now what we do is we come to the scripture and we say, okay, God is love. What is John saying? That's the end of a sentence. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this type of love is that agape love. Love, feast, pour out on top of your head, love. Unmerited, unearned love. Imagine if you will, because this is the people that we are and it's the best way we're gonna understand this. A guy comes and dumps $10 million on top of your head and you're just like, who are you? And they're like, I don't care. And then he's just pouring that out upon you and you're like, what did I do to deserve this? And the guy's like, nothing. Here's more. And here's more. You're like, I can't pick it up. And you're like, doesn't matter. I'm going to pour out more and more. And many of you would be like, yeah, that, that would be an awesome day. And money gets spent. Money is a tool. Money is just stuff. What we're talking about is God's love poured out. Why, did, why are you pouring out this love upon my head? Because I love you. But what did I do to deserve it? Nothing. Urgh, I'm pouring out love on your head and love on your head and love on your head. But Lord, I don't deserve it. I know, but Jesus paid it all. That's why the church sang that this morning. Here's that love. See, parental love, romantic love, brotherly love, it's all an exchange. You love me, I love you, end of story. You know, I love you a little more. 
more today than yesterday type of a thing. Like it's growing and evolving and things like that. But we're talking about a type of love that gives out, expects nothing in return, and the person receiving it has done nothing to earn it. That is the love that God is. And John says, that's the love that we as Christians, not the world, the world doesn't have this. Christians, us, you, me, profess faith in Jesus Christ. That's the love that we are aspiring to. This is a hard love, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to love somebody when they do something nice. Oh, you baked me a casserole. I love you. Oh, you made my bed. You washed my clothes. I love you. You bought me a present. Oh, I love you. But hey, I love you because when you were driving, you gave me the bird. But I love you because God loves you. So I'm not going to run you off the side of the road. You know what? You made fun of me for being a Christian. I love you because I know that you don't know what I know right now. And I'm not going to say, well, you don't know what I, what I know, blah, blah. I'm just going to say, you know what? I just love you. You know, I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to go after you. I'm still going to give to you what you don't deserve. Well, this person in the church wronged me. Okay, that was wrong. So now we don't have to love? No. John says, love, agape, pour out. Husbands, Love your wives like this. Wives, love your husbands like this. Love your kids like this. Don't look for marital love and parental love. Just be agape love all the time. Well, my husband doesn't pick up his socks off the floor. Love him anyways. Well, my wife doesn't make my favorite meal. Love her anyways. Well, my kids don't listen. Which kid on the face of the planet's ever listened? Come on. Love them. Love them every day. Pour out love on their head. So that one day they ask you, dad, why do you love me like this? Because you're mine. That's why. It's not because I got straight A's and did, no, no, no. That's just icing on the cake. You're my kid and I love you. And that's the love that God has for you today. When God is love, when we say that verse, that's what we're saying. It's not approving what you do. Well, I like to, you know, kidnap people and put them in my basement. And God is love, so he's okay with that. What? No. I like to cheat on my taxes, and God is love, so he's okay with it. Huh? I pay taxes so I don't have to give to the poor. What? Are you, have you even read the Bible? I got that from T.D. Jakes. That guy has written like five billion books and has a church of like a hundred million people. And I never, never throw anybody under the bus from a pulpit. But are you kidding me? Don't give to the poor because you pay taxes? Have you even read the Bible? How many of you people have his book on your shelf right now? Throw it in the garbage. Don't even put it in the garbage. Just throw it in two garbages. Like do something worse. <laughs> something worse. Set the garbage on fire and then throw it in there. And take a sweat rag and throw it in there too and just burn the whole thing because my gosh, for somebody to tell you not to follow the word of God because the government takes our taxes? What? What else are they telling you that's not right? What else is being said that's not true? And I watched this video and he's going on and on and there's people in the background, yeah! Woo, it's like a Jerry Springer episode. Woo! Some of you don't remember that show, but people would be crazy on that show. He's got like the dog pound or Samuel Hall, woo, 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 people over here. And everybody's like, yeah. And I'm like, 
Oh my gosh, you're cheering, not reading the word and being a student of the word and just listening to some guy? No, I refuse. No, you tell me, you show me in the word where it says that. You tell me by the word of God where that says that, and then I will follow it. And ultimately, I'm not following it because you said it. I'm following it because the word of God said it. You just happened to be kind of the megaphone it came out of. Oh, but they wrote a book. You can write a book and publish it for like nothing. Oh, but they have a blog. I have a blog. I haven't blogged in like a year and a half, but I got one. It took me all four seconds to put it together. Got me a URL. Cost me nothing. I got a blog. Oh, but they're, they have a podcast. We have a podcast? Costs us almost nothing. Super easy to do. Oh, but I got their tapes. Who even uses tapes? Really? Well, they're on VHS. Nobody uses VHS anymore for anything except to stu- sturdy the coffee table in the living room. That's what they're good for now. Oh, but they speak at all kinds of churches. Yeah, because a lot of churches are dumb. They sit there and, oh, they've got a blog and this and that. I'm going off on a tangent, I know. But here's why. Good people are burning because they won't become students of the word. Because somebody's got a book or a sermon series or is on TV and, well, then what they must say is gospel. It, it must be true. And I, I love people like the Bereans. They listen to Paul. Paul preaches. And they're like, okay, Mr. Paul, super apostle. Let's see what the word of God says about this. All right, it checks out. You're all right. That's Paul. Like, there are a few people on the face of the earth that if they came around and said, hey, Tony, I'm gonna preach today at your church, I'd be like, yeah, go ahead, man. You're Paul. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say no to you. You know, other guys come through, God told me to preach at your church. I don't think so. No, he did not. He did not tell me. I did not get that memo. And even if he did, we're gonna pray about this first. Like, we're gonna be really slow and steady about this. But Paul, that's Paul. He'd be back from the dead, number one. That'd be impressive. Number two, he's Paul. I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the scriptures or, or two-thirds of the New Testament or either about him or by him. The brains are like, nope, not good enough. That, well, what's the word I'm looking for here? That, his, his clout, what he has as the super apostle means nothing if the word of God does not back it up. And so church, it's my responsibility to keep doing this. Here it is. It's not hidden. I'm not putting smoke in mirrors. Here it is. At some point, you've got to go, okay. And then open it and read it and say, you know what? I, what, does that, what does that mean? Why did he say that? I've heard that before. Oh my gosh. And then go back and forth and write stuff down and write stuff in your margins and, 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 and get your notebook out. And like, right, I'm going to ask Pastor Tony this question. What in the world is there no dinosaurs in the book of Genesis? Like, you're going to write stuff down. You're going to ask questions. You're going to talk to Mike and Ben and, and, and you're going to ask the, uh, just anybody who will listen. Why is this happening? What is going on here? Why did they say this? Instead of just clicking memes on Facebook. Oh, that'll get them. Oh, that'll show them. That'll shut them up. Ain't nobody ever shut up by a meme. Come on. But read the word. Listen to podcasts. Read the books. But 
But are what they say, or is it what they're saying the same as what the word of God says? Or does it just sound Christian-y? Are they using eisegesis? Well, we have this experience and let's, let's push that into the word of God. Or is it the word of God says this? The word of God says he loves you with a love that is unfathomable. And that you, as that loved being, now have the command, privilege, obligation, and responsibility to go out and love in that same manner. It's going to be hard. You will not want to. It will hurt often. People will betray you, take advantage of you. But I gotta tell you, they're gonna do that anyways. People are going to do that to you whether you give them love or not. It's just going to hurt more when you love them. But our command is the same. Well, it's going to hurt. Command's still the same. To love and to show the world a love they can't find anywhere else. So that's, that's the job of the church. They should be seeing a love within these walls and as we leave, that they can't describe or, 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 or ascribe to something else. Oh, the love of church is kind of like, you know, it's kind of like this group or that group. No, they should be saying, I can't explain it. They just, they kind of loved me and didn't expect anything in return. Like, they, they were just so warm. And then, like, I saw them at church and then I saw them at Walmart, but they didn't, they didn't see me. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch that person. Because I know at church they're gonna act one way, but at Walmart, everybody's a different person. So, oh my gosh, look, the kids are going crazy and they're not freaking out. What in the world? And, and look, look, the cashier is going super slow, but they're not losing, they're not losing their Jesus. Like what, who is this person? What is this? And then hopefully you get to at some point and say, oh, that's not me, man. Like when I was talking to that cashier, I wanted to lose my Jesus. And when my kid was running around and knocking stuff down, I wanted to just, just deck him, just like back of the head like that and be like, who do you even think you are? But I was like, man, that's not what Jesus wants. Can't do that. So you saw outside like, hey, everything's fine. But on the inside, I'm like, I'm gonna fight somebody. See, the world should be seeing that. The world should be seeing, hey, that group of people, there's something different about, I mean, they're weird, but in a good way. Like, they're weird, but I want to be a part of that. Like, they have something that my heart is yearning for. Like, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be a part of that, but I, I feel like there's something that's in between. Like, Jesus. You go back, it's Jesus. Jesus did it. It was Jesus all the time. Answer's always Jesus. How did you do that? Jesus. Why didn't you do this? Jesus. How could you make it through the hurt? Jesus. What did you do when they died? Jesus. What did you do when it was cancer? Jesus. What did you do when you had no money? Jesus. I just had Jesus. I just clung to Jesus. And I cried out, Jesus, if you move, I'm falling. I need you. Jesus. And then you came out the other side. Dust yourself off. Like, I don't know. I kind of made a spectrum myself there, Jesus, but we're good. And you're like this, you're like, right, Jesus, everything's fine, not knowing that next trial's here. Oh my God, that's bigger. 
see, this life is hard. It is. It really is. But when you have Jesus, it's like hard with a friend. It's like, Jesus, this life is hard. Oh, you're going before me? Oh, and you're back, and you're here and here? Oh, let's go. Let's, let's do this. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, like, these last six weeks have been a struggle for me. Like, I have just been, life has been a struggle. Like, not clinical depression. I call it spiritual depression. There's a difference there. Like, spiritual depression, you don't really need medicine for. Clinical depression, you might, and there's nothing wrong with that. This is just like attack, like just unworthy, like, like Tony, you're so dumb and stuff like that. Like, it's not real complicated up here, guys. And, and it's like, at some point I was like, Jesus, like, why? What, why, am I, why am I doing this? Why am I letting this happen? Why am I just like, oh, okay, I'll just be over here in the corner. Like, no. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Greater is him who is in me, that's Jesus, than the jerk face that rules this planet. And so why? So last night, I had a really fun trial. And what time is it? Ah, I've got plenty of time. Fun story. So sometimes trials are like, hey, it's cancer. Hey, you don't have a job. Like, th- that's really big. But sometimes it's just like, just petty enough to just make you really mad at like the worst possible time. So I'm going to share this story. It's going to mortify my wife. So there's going to be, I'm going to need marital counseling after this. But so last night, well, actually yesterday morning, it, it, we have a cat and we got to change the kitty litter, right? Because that's a thing. Well, we got this new kitty litter because it was organic and there's no chemicals. That's got to be good. It's made out of like pine trees. It looks like the wood pellets you put in a pellet stove, but for your cat. And you scoop it out and everything's hunky-dory. So about eight o'clock in the morning, I changed that. I'm like, all right, this is awesome. Smells good. Like I don't like the kitty litter box, so it kind of works out for me. And so then Sarah and I go about our day and we have a really long day and then we come home. It's like almost midnight. And earlier than that, Sarah's like, well, check the litter box. See how that turned out. I'm like, okay. So I check. I'm like, this stuff's really good because I don't smell nothing or see nothing. This is awesome. So I got this years ago. Well, come to find out, Mr. Cat doesn't like that kitty litter. And I go in the kitchen and I'm like, oh my gosh. How can one cat hold so much urine? My gosh. Oh my God. Like it's everywhere. Everywhere. That was the first time. And so at midnight, what do I got to do? I got to go to Walmart. I got to find kitty litter. Now here's the thing. We bought our last batch of kitty litter at Ollie's. And Ollie's sometimes they get stuff and then they don't get it again. And so we went to Ollie's before and they're like, oh yeah, we don't have that anymore. I'm like, okay, no big deal. So Walmart, which one most looks like it? This one. Okay, so I go, I come home, I'm carrying it throughout Walmart, come home, and, and I change everything out. If anybody uses organic kitty litter, let me know. I have some for you. Um, pour it in there. I put the cat there. I'm like, there, see, it's the same. Like, I'm talking to him like a person. It's the same stuff. Just go in there, do your thing. And he's like, he runs away. And I'm like, Ugh. And again, remember, it's midnight. And so then I'm like, well, whatever. And I go and sit down. And I, I, I was printing out some songs for this morning. So I print them out. And I go into the, where the printer is. And I'm like, splash, splash. Oh, again? Like, it's everywhere. I'm like, you 
gotta be kidding me. And the cat's like looking at me and like all jittery, running away. So then I go mop that all up and get that all cleaned up. And then like, I'm like, I'm just going to bed. Like I can't. Now, I don't think Satan was in my cat. Because I think Satan is in all cats. No, I'm just kidding. Um, do I believe that Satan was choreographing some type of scenario in my house to make this all happen? No, I don't actually. I think that cats don't like to have their kitty litter changed and I learned that the hard way. What I think happened is Satan tells God, Tony's going to curse you to your face if he gets pressured just a little bit. Like, Tony's not so great. Tony is the worst. And if you just make the most minor of inconvenience, he's just going to freak out. And so my job at that point is to honor the Lord and not freak out. To say, you know what, Lord? This is the worst. Um, Urine of any kind is never pleasurable. However, I can see where I went wrong changing the cat's routine. And you know what? Got to go to Walmart at midnight. Nobody was there. Got through really quick. I mean, at some point, you have to decide, you know what, I'm going to face these things and just put my chin out, just like like that, and say, you know what, you're going to punch me anyways, just do it. And be ready for it. And just live life like that, like on repeat for the rest of your life. And sometimes you're going to get punched and it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's going to be these minor little things like last night. Like that's not even a big deal in hindsight. Some of you have been through far worse than that. And I don't mean to make your situations little at all. But at some point, you make a decision based on what you know about Jesus and what he knows about you. And you say, you know what? This is what you've called me to. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to wish it away. I'm not going to rebuke it. I'm not going to do this. I'm not, you know what? If this is the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to make me walk then I know you're going to walk it with me. And I want to walk it in a way where people go, man, how'd he do that? Man, how'd she do that? How did that family stick together after that? Why didn't they divorce? Why aren't they on drugs? Why isn't this happening? Because that's what you do when you go through these things. You hit the bottle, you get the pills, you do this, you do that, you alleviate the pain somehow, but they're not doing that. How? Jesus. It is my job to do this and it is your job to do this and to study and to read and never walk away with the mindset, well, I can't ask Pastor Tony that or I can't ask Pastor Mike that or I can't ask Pastor Ben that or I can't ask Pastor Justin that. Like, I'd be rocking the boat. or No, no. You ask, you ask, and you ask again. Well, I heard it this way. That's how Jesus taught. You've heard it said, but here's what I say. You've heard it taught this way, but let me tell you the truth. Never be afraid to question authority, ever. Some of the best relationships I have right now are because people decide, you know what? I'm gonna ask Pastor Tony a question. And sometimes they ask me questions, and I'm like, I never thought of that. What an amazing question. I think it was Joey or Lucy last year or the year before asked me, what's more important, Christmas or Easter? I was like, I never thought of that. Like, you've got to have one for the other, but 
one needs to, and like, all of a sudden my head's like spinning. I'm like, that's a good question. And you're like seven. Never thought of that. Never be afraid. Make it your life's goal to become a student of the word. For you guys who do woodworking or work with your hands or labor or have hobbies, I mean, you go online, you get YouTube videos, instructable video. I mean, you just research the heck out of stuff and then you figure out how to do stuff. And it's like, wow, that was really good. It's the same effort with much greater reward. Lord, what does your word say? That's your responsibility. I said, Jesus, says, I have all these experiences. Let me justify them with the word. Exegesis says, the word says all of these things. Now I'll live my life through that filter. That is the goal today. Let's stand and pray together. Being a student of the word costs you something. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your sanity because the minute you open that book, all hell will break loose in your house. Kids will need everything. Your spouse will lose everything. It, it will just not be the most opportune time for you to do that. And you either say, I'm doing this anyways, or I'll come back to it. Being a student of the word means the word of God's up here and you come underneath it. What does the word of God say? You may not like it. You may wrestle with it. But you walk away with it saying, it's the standard, it's the truth. How do I become more like it? How do I adhere to it? How do I live a life that glorifies the Christ of it and loves the world that he loves? And so I wanna pray for you today. Father God, we praise you. And, um, you know, as I was preaching, I thought, you know, this sounds all intellectual. And, you know, for intellectual types, that's going to work out really well. But for emotional types, it's not going to really do anything, Lord. But as I, as I ponder you, I, I see you're both. You're the Jesus who weeps when Lazarus dies. You're the Jesus who stands and spars with the Pharisees. You're the Jesus who bends down to lift up Mary. You're the Jesus who stands on the boat teaching. You're, you're all of it. I pray today, Lord, that <clears throat> as we become students of the word, it wouldn't just be an intellectual thing. It would be a thing where we see the word of God for what it truly is. Eternal, life-giving, the truth standard, that it would be that it literally would be like something in our life that just keeps disrupting everything. It keeps causing us to ask these questions, to seek you, to find you, to ask, to seek, and to knock. It brings us back to you over and over and over again, and we wrestle, and we wrestle, and we're okay with that, and we become accustomed to this wrestling so that we aren't duped. We aren't led astray to false teachings and whims and people who just have found another system to manipulate. Lord, our goal is you and your word. I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would, that you would make an appetite, Lord, within us that is greater than our own comfort. 
an appetite that is only equally sustained, satisfied, but increased by your word and drawing close to you, Lord. I pray that for your people. And I pray that today would be the day that this all begins. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when we are done with this sermon series, we are going to actually do our uh, Ask Your Pastor series again. So in the coming weeks, we're going to be giving you note cards to ask questions anonymously. And you can ask anything. Write it down. You know, why did this happen? You know, why did, why, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? I mean, stuff like that. You can ask anything you want. You know, what about Islam? What about this? What about that? You ask them anonymously, and then we will, for a few weeks, we will address those here from the pulpit and have a time of Q&A afterwards. That'll be coming up in the fall, so keep that in mind. Um, next week, Pastor Mike will be preaching. Sarah and I will be traveling uh, to California, and so you guys are in for a real treat. I love that we have this on the internet so I can watch while I'm away and listen, um, but keep him in your prayers as well. God bless you, and have a wonderful rest of your day.
trust in you and we won't be shaken we will trust in you we will not be moved we will trust in you yeah we won't be shaken we will trust in as could be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin dwelt among men my example is he the word became flesh and the light shined among us his glory
carried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified.
Christ, it's only by His grace we stand.